Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time here as we open God's Word together. Father, we pray now as we look into your Word and examine your Scriptures that we may be open to hear your voice speaking to us. Uh, God, I ask that you will... The things, the things that are from me, the things that uh, are just my own thoughts or opinions, that you allow those things to be easily forgotten this morning, um, and the things that are of you, uh, that we can hold fast to them and remember them. I pray this in your name. Amen. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. If I were to say the phrase to you, if you build it, he will come. What does that bring to mind? Field of Dreams, right? Yeah, Field of Dreams. I watched that movie this week as it's baseball season once again, and I was in the baseball spirit, and so I turned it on and I was watching it. And uh, for those of you that maybe aren't familiar with the movie, it involves a plot in which Kevin Costner, um, Kevin Costner is a farmer in Iowa, and he... He is out in his field and he hears a voice that says, if you build it, he will come. He's not sure what that means. And eventually he realizes that if you build it, he will come means, or at least he interprets it to mean that he needs to plow up his cornfield and build a baseball field. And and shoeless Joe Jackson, uh, an old dead baseball player, will come back and be able to play baseball again because he was kicked out of the game years earlier. And so, listening to the voice, he digs up his, his cornfield and plants a baseball field. And sure enough, out of one, one night out of the cornfield comes Shoeless Joe Jackson. And eventually, uh, all of these old ball players start coming out of the cornfield and they are playing, they're playing baseball in, in his cornfield. And they can see it and they're watching, they go out and they watch the games and there's this whole uh, long plot. But, but in the midst of it, there is Kevin Costner's brother-in-law, who is a banker, and he's trying to get them to sell the farm because they can't afford it, especially now that they've dug up their crop and have a baseball field. And so, and and the thing is that his brother-in-law is unable to see the baseball players, and so so they are watching these games and they're fascinated. And, they're, and they said, "There's there's no way. Like, yes, we can't afford it, but we we need to find a way to keep this going because look, all these old ball players are coming out of the corn to play baseball." And the brother-in-law says, "What are you talking about? You're crazy. This isn't funny. Like, you need to sell the farm." And eventually, I'm going to spoil it for you, but come on, the movie's been out for 25 years now, so. That's your own problem if you haven't seen it yet. Eventually, the brother-in-law, uh, something happens, and the brother-in-law is all of a sudden able to see the ball players. And when he sees it, and he turns around and he realizes, he says, "Where did all these ball players come from?" And then he turns to Kevin Costner and he says, "There's no way you're selling this farm." He he all of a sudden sees what was happening all along, and I was. I was watching this movie and I'm thinking about Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. 
Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And really the idea here, as, as we move into, back into Hebrews chapter 11, is, is this understanding that there is something going on, there is something unseen that God is doing in the world and has done in the world. And we've, and we've looked at that, uh, the context of that. We've seen this throughout the, these chapters of Hebrews. This has been the argument that our author has been uh, putting forth throughout this letter, that, that God has done a work in Christ through the cross, accomplishing salvation for us. And so that there is an, a new world, there is a new creation that is happening and breaking forth in the midst of the one in which we are currently living. And, and we can't always see the evidence of that. And yet our faith tells us that it's true. Our faith tells us that there is, there is a story happening that we may not be able to see. The ball players are there. We just can't see them. It's not as though they're not, it's not happening. Obviously, the ball players weren't actually there. It's a movie. But, but there's something going on. And just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. And this is what our author is saying. This is what faith is about. We don't see the evidence always. But our faith tells us that it's true. And so he, he begins to list, as Pastor Jim said last week, not necessarily heroes of faith, but simply people who are, who are commended for their faith throughout Scripture. People like you and me who choose to act in faith. And, and we looked last week at Abel, and this week we're going to look at Noah, verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So a few things were told about Noah, and, and, and what we're going to do today is we're going to take a look at the faith of Noah, look at this obedience of Noah, and then in doing so, we will hopefully come to see what is, it, what is the author of Hebrews trying to have us understand about it, what it means for us to have faith as well and to live into the same kind of faith that Noah had. And so let's take a look at that. He says, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen. So God tells Noah about something that he can't yet see. And he responds. He's motivated by we're told, my translation says, holy fear. Your translation might say something like godly fear or reverent obedience or respect. This, this word here is, is really, the idea would be the idea of reverent obedience, I think, is a, is a good translation. That there's an understanding of who God is, and out of obedience for, and respect for, for the word of God, Noah responds. So let's take a look at that. Turn your Bibles back to, all the way to Genesis chapter 6. And let's look at the story of Noah and, and see how he responded with obedience, with reverent obedience. Genesis chapter 6. We'll begin in, let's just begin in verse 9. 
This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. And he goes on and gives a description of how he's to build this ark. But here's, here's the warning. Here's the thing that, that our author of Hebrews tells us at the beginning. Noah, when warned about things unseen, and God comes to Noah and says, Look, the earth is filled with violence. It, there's, there's destruction, there's violence, it's, it's corrupt. Everything that's going on is wickedness. And we're told that, that Noah is, is righteous. And this is actually, Noah is the first character in Scripture to, that we're told is, is righteous. And so God comes to him and he says, Look, Noah, there's too much violence, there's too much. And so here's what's going to happen. I'm going to destroy the earth and start over with you. So build an ark. And he gives them these instructions. And so here, first of all, is the warning that we saw in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Noah, when warned about things unseen. Verse 17, I'm going to build floodwaters, to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Verse 22, Noah did everything just as God commanded. And then chapter 7, verse 5, he says again, And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. So the story is God comes to Noah and says, Noah, here is what's going to happen. You now go and build the ark. Now, we're not told how long it took Noah to build this ark. But a lot of people estimate that it was probably between 50 to 75 years that it took him to build this ark. And in the meantime, there's... It's not as though it's raining the whole time and Noah is thinking, okay, I've got to hurry this up because the flood is coming. As far as we can tell, there, there's, there's nothing. There's no rain. And day after day after day, year after year, Noah is acting in faith. The story really, as we read it in Genesis, the story really jumps pretty quickly to Noah built. It's, God gives all these instructions and then Noah did it. But this would have taken him, even, even a conservative estimate probably would have taken him 20 to 25 years to do this building. And you've got to think at some point, as Noah is the only one building an ark, uh, he's, he's maybe thinking, am I crazy? Like, 
What am I doing here? Why am I, why am I still doing this? And, and the act of faith of Noah is not a singular act. It's not a, okay, I believe that God said this is going to happen, and so two, chap- two verses later I've done it. It's, it's a daily act of obedience and faith when there is still no evidence of a flood coming. Noah responds and he acts in faith. And this is what our author of Hebrews is trying to point out to us and and draw our attention to. That Noah, back in Hebrews chapter 11, when warned about things unseen, when told something that he had no evidence for happening, he trusted God, he believed God, and began to act as though it was true, even when he could not see the truth. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And our author is telling us that this is how Noah responded. He responded with obedience daily, even when he could not see the evidence of that obedience. So what does our author want us to take away from the story of Noah? Uh, What are the unseen things that we have been told about? Turn back just a couple chapters to Hebrews chapter 9. In Hebrews chapter 9, we looked at this. It's been a while since we we paused for Easter, but Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. And this is really the core. I mean, this is we'll see, we could look at all kinds of passages throughout the New Testament, which the same fundamental idea is is un, uh, unfolded for us. But in, in verse 15, Christ as the mediator of a new covenant, Christ as the one through whom God has accomplished our salvation. That Christ has died as a ransom to set us free, and so that we are set free from sin. This is the thing unseen that we are asked to believe and to trust and to act daily that this is true. And, and the instructions that God gives to us are different from the instructions that God gave to Noah. God re, God's response to sin in the day of Noah was... I'm going, to, I'm going to wipe out. There's too much violence in the world, and, and we're starting over with you, Noah. I'm sending a flood. But if you remember the story of Noah, when Noah and his family come, come off the ark, what is the sign that God gives to Noah and his family? Rainbow, right? And what is the significance of the rainbow? What is the promise that God gives because of the rainbow? He's never going to do it again, right? He's never going to destroy the earth by flood again. And when we come to the New Testament, we see or we, or we take a look at our world today and we read the description of the world in Noah's day and we hear that it's corrupt and full of violence. We think, well, that sounds about right. And yet God's response 
is not a flood again, right? That's, that's the rainbow. God's response, our author of Hebrews tells us, and Paul will tell us, Jesus tells us, is the cross of Christ. The response to the violence and the evil in our world today is Christ. He takes it upon himself. Turn to John chapter 3. Many of you probably have this memorized. But it's important for us to look at this and to remember and to understand what is going on in our story today. Because the instructions for Noah were, were build an ark, build, build the boat, because I'm starting over with you. But the story for us today and the story that the author of Hebrews is, is wanting us to see and to understand is this. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because of their deeds were evil. All those who do evil hate the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But those who live by the truth come into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And this is the story that is happening for us today. This is the invitation. This is the thing that the author of Hebrews wants us to to see is the reality that's happening behind the stories that we are living. It's the truth that we may not always be able to see visibly, that Christ has come into the world to save it. And that Christ's response to the evil and the violence of our world is his own sacrifice. The bringing of salvation for us. And that it's available freely to all who believe. There's not, we looked at this already in Hebrews 2. There's not anything that we have to do to earn that salvation. The author of Hebrews says that in the building of the ark, Noah condemned the world around him. And we're told in John chapter 3 that Christ did not come into the world to bring condemnation to the sin and the evil, but he came to bring salvation. That the condemnation already existed within the world. The evil was already there. And Christ is coming to bring a response to say, you can be forgiven. It's available freely to you. And the way in which we... Like Noah, the way in which we offer um, a condemnation to our world is, is in the same way that Noah built a boat of salvation. That we offer and we proclaim the truth of the gospel to our world. That, that this is the calling of the church, this is the calling of Christians, that as we accept the truth, that we then can proclaim the truth to our world. And this is the way in which those who then 
do not accept, uh, receive the condemnation. That it's not our task to be preachers of condemnation as much as it is our task to be preachers of salvation. And to offer the boat, to, to show the way, to invite people in to the work that Christ has already accomplished. We are not building the boat. The boat has already been built by Christ. And it's our task as the church to invite others on board and to say, look, this is free for you as well. It doesn't matter the choices that you have made. It doesn't matter the choices that you are still making now. The only choice that matters is do you trust that Christ's sacrifice is enough for you? And if we have trusted that, then we too invite others to trust as well. Uh, Going back to this field of dreams. Oftentimes we as Christians struggle to have the capacity to see the story that is happening that is that is unseen we struggle to operate in a world in which we understand that the gospel is moving through all of our other stories and sometimes what happens is we get so caught up in the concerns of our of our smaller stories that we lose sight of the fact that, that Christ is working and redeeming even now in our world. And that the gospel is still true today. And that the invitation for us to live a life of the gospel is, is a daily act of faith. It's not a, uh, okay, we believe that and we've accepted it and now we don't have to do anything else. But it's an invitation to continue to act as though this story is the true one. That the new creation is breaking forth within our lives. And oftentimes we, we still hold this idea that as we think about our own struggles with sin and our own struggles with, with making right choices. Our own struggles with, with the way in which we proclaim the gospel and witness to the truth of, of Christ through our lives. We think of it as just a list of do's and don'ts and a list of rules that we need to follow or not follow. But when we see the story unfolding as as Christ redeeming you from the power of sin, Christ redeeming us from the power of sin, we understand this story is the story that we are in. It's not about should I or should I not do this. It's it's. Is this a is this a new law that I need to follow? It's about a freedom. To live into a story that is greater than any of the small stories that we care about. And oftentimes we are, going back to, to Field of Dreams, oftentimes we are like Kevin Costner's brother. And we get so caught up in, is, does, this, does this make financial sense? Does this make logical sense? Does, as, I, as I look at the, at the thing that I'm worried about today, does it really make sense to keep, to keep striving after this? Does it really make sense to continue to, to pursue 
forgiveness for my enemies. Is it, like, what, if, what if they just take advantage of me? How many times should I forgive a, a brother who wrongs me? Seven times? Like 400, yeah, 70 times seven. The point that Jesus is saying in that, in, when Peter comes to him is not, hey, okay, once you get to, you know, four, 489, you've got to warn him, hey, I only got one more in me. And oftentimes the way that we think about forgiveness or, or the way that we think about representing Christ in our world comes from a defensive standpoint. Right? That, that we may be harmed, we may be abused, people may take advantage of us if we, if we really love our enemies. Like, that's going to hurt. They may still choose to be our enemies when we love them. And so we, we begin to live into a story that makes practical sense instead of gospel sense. We begin to say, yeah, we should probably sell the farm because we can't afford it. It's, it's not, it doesn't make sense. And yet when we then see what's really going on and we say, no, the gospel is here and I can choose to forgive even when I'm not getting anything in return, I can choose humility. I can choose compassion. Even when it costs something from me, we remember that the story of Christ is a Christ who chose forgiveness when we had nothing to offer him in return, who chose compassion when we had nothing to offer him in return. And we can say this is the narrative that we are a part of. And it's not as though... It's not as though these, these other stories that we are a part of don't matter. And that the only story that matters is the story of the gospel. But it's that all of our stories matter in light of the gospel. That it's not as though our day-to-day lives of, of going to work, uh, our, our conflicts and our resolutions, striving for goals, completing tasks, changing diapers, uh, parenting, our marriages, our relationships, school, deciding what school we're going to go to. It's not as though each of those things doesn't matter because of the gospel. It's that all of those things matter even more because of the gospel. And the invitation of, of Noah is that we understand that, that the day-to-day tasks have eternal significance and that, that we interpret those stories in light of the story of Christ happening among us. That we begin to see the choices that we make in our relationships as, as how does this line up with who Christ has made me to be? How does this line up with the story that God is trying to tell in me and through me? These day-to-day tasks have eternal significance because of the gospel. And the invitation, again, is to see the story that's happening in the midst of all of that so that as we go to work and have conversations with our coworkers, there is a redemptive possibility in those conversations. That as we make choices of where we're going to go to school or, or where we're going to find a new job, or where we're going to live, 
or how we're going to move or how we're going to how we're going to buy our groceries and 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 how we're going to choose to recycle like all of those day-to-day seemingly mundane tasks are not mundane in light of the work of Christ in light of the possibility and the power of the gospel these tasks are not insignificant and the, and the act of faith being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see is that we begin to to have eyes to grasp and a faith to grasp that this matters today. That the way that I discipline my children has eternal significance. The way that I ask for forgiveness from my spouse when I know that I'm wrong, but I want to really dig in my heels and and be right, has eternal significance. The gospel is working in every facet of our lives, and our invitation is like Noah, to live daily in faith that this is the true story, that this is the story that gives significance to all other stories. God has revealed to us salvation by grace through faith. This is the the boat that has been built for us. And as we seek to live in obedience on a daily basis to the fullness of salvation, we, we live as though we are already on the boat. We live as though under the rules and the law of the boat, which is the law of love for one another. And we invite our world to see that Christ has already accomplished the work and that our task is to continue to proclaim salvation to those around us. We're going to sing a song uh, that we sang last week as a closing song too. And uh, as we were singing this last week, I thought this is going to fit very perfectly for where we are because the, the words of this song are, are really a prayer that we may be people who live out the faith of Christ. That we may live out on a daily basis the life of the gospel. So let's sing together. Uh, this week, may you be instruments of peace. May you see uh, the reality of the gospel in your lives today in your smallest, most mundane tasks, may you see that they have eternal significance uh, as you do them in the name of Christ.